This episode of The Moment is brought to you by Open Account, a podcast series created by Suchin Pak and Umqua Bank. Open Account explores through honest and sometimes comical interviews how our uncomfortable silence around money. Open Account is available now on iTunes. And by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. Plus, we'll give you your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com slash moment. The Moment is also brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message on iTunes. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is the great Phil Rosenthal. Hello. Hey, Phil. You're so cute. Look at you. No, no, no. You're cute. Is Listen, here's the thing. You've made a life out of recognizing and being cute. <laughs> cute on the page is hard. Cute in life is okay, but you're cute on the page. <laughs> You know what I'm Nobody, saying? You know what? That's like what the girls say when they're not really going to sleep with you. They say that you're cute? Yeah. I think it's changed now. I think now it's a full positive. Oh, okay. I'm really cute then. Congratulations. <laughs> Here's a... Phil, you should know who he is. You definitely know his work. Probably still your most famous thing is you're the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. Yep. Exec producer, wrote the show. Yep. But you're also somebody who's written books. You've made shows all around the world. You've made documentaries. I did. And you have a TV series that's launching uh, right now called I'll Have What Phil's Having. You know it. I didn't even look at notes to say any of that. Wow, you're good. Here's the thing. Looking at your show and reading your book, one question I had was, how how often does the word Dayenu pass (laughs) your lips? I know. It's funny. By the way, I don't know if you ever saw my Funny or Die video that I did with those guys. I did Jewish James Bond. Great. Like, uh, to answer Harvey Weinstein's thing that he, he went on one of these shows and he said, we should end violence. And I said, okay, let's do it. Let's do a James Bond where I'm James Bond. Great. And Oh, yeah, I did like, see that. So there'd be no more guns. In... It's called Why Are We Fighting? Yeah. Right. And uh, that went well. We might do another one. Die Hard 6. Die, Die Anu. Well, there you go. But the the Dayenu, for those who don't know, and um, I'm an atheist, uh, but I was you know raised uh, Me too. Jewish. Because you were raised Jewish. Yeah, you how, how, would you, how would you be yeah. raised in a Jewish household and yeah. not become an atheist? That's really... <laughs> but so what Dayenu means is it would have been enough. And it's a song yes. that Jewish people sing at the end of services. It's the only one of the songs with a decent melody. Exactly right. So you're always happy if you find yourself in shul to sing Dayenu, right? And we're going to wrap up this podcast later... With a chorus. With a quick version. Yes. But it does seem as though you feel like, you know what, if it had stopped, it would have been fine. It would of have course. been enough. Of course. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. You're looking at the luckiest guy in the world. You're a writer. You know, you write alone in a room. You're hoping that the one person at the studio who reads it might like it enough to pass it forward, right? So that you can, if in my case, I'm writing a pilot for this, everybody loves Raymond. I hope that Wendy Trilling at CBS likes it enough to recommend it to Les Moonves and he lets us film a pilot. That's all you're going for. It would have been enough. Well, if the... If make the it, pilot. Make the pilot. I'm already happy. Look, I got to make... If you're a kid like me and you're, you love television, oh my God, I get to go into a professional setting and actually make a television show. What is better than that if you love television? Sure. 
And then everything that happened beyond that, finding that cast, getting on the air, having some nice reviews so that it continues, moving it to Monday nights, right, which Les did, having it succeed, go to a second season, every single, it's not like hitting the jackpot. It's like hitting the jackpot over and over and over again. And I'm not talking about money, although that's very nice. It's everything else. It's the life of fun and love and happiness that it's afforded me. But the juxtaposition that I find so interesting in knowing about you, people always talk about what a kind, generous person you are, how you try to help people, uh, not in a stupid way, but how you uh, will use the resources you have to support things that you love in all sorts of areas. But the interesting juxtaposition is... It's a a pleasure. If all your dreams come true, right, shouldn't it make you nicer? I mean, I don't understand people who are still miserable (laughs) when when they hit it. I don't get it. But but what's interesting is, although I see you say, like, who would have ever, you know, you're in your thing and you're in Tokyo and you're like, who would have ever thought? Or how could I be? Or how's yes. this happening to me? And you check in with your parents at the end of every show and there's all this stuff. <laughs> Yet, it does seem like you're still chasing some kind of additional fulfillment. That when you turn to acting for a while, when yeah. it, it does seem like you're still searching for something as much as you appreciate it all. So yes. I wonder what that is. I'm Jewish. And so there's always going to find the negative, right? We always do this. We find like life. I, I just told you how I really, really feel about life. I love it. I'm the happiest guy in the world. Yet. There's always a yet. <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, maybe, it's the, the, maybe it's the feeling that it'll all go away. You say I pursued acting for a while. They pursued me. I was happy to do it. You know, Jim Brooks called me to read for uh, Spanglish and put me in that movie. Wow. You know, when you're a kid, you don't know that there's writing, producing, directing. You look at the, in my case, the honeymooners and you say, I want to do that. I want to be that. I want to be funny like them. I want to go on stage and be funny. And in school, the only outlet is the high school play without getting thrown out of class. So I did that. And then you think, oh, I guess I'm an actor. I don't know. I don't right. want to be an actor, like a serious actor. I just want to be funny, goof around, play different roles because I don't know who the hell I am. So I do that. And I go to college for the Hofstra University. You're from Long Island, right? Yeah. So I know Roslyn, where you're from, right? You went to Hofstra? I did. Uh, one of the two main characters in Billions. Yeah. The character Damian Lewis played, the billionaire. Yeah. Went to Hofstra. Fantastic. And I always put Ray in a Hofstra t-shirt. Yeah. In the, in the show. Right. Yeah. So they had a very good theater department at the time. Uh, they might still have a good theater department. I'm not disparaging anybody. Please don't send me a note. I got uh, an education in writing, play analysis, directing even, even producing because you had to put up your shows yourself. So all these things, and it went in back in my mind because I'm not going to do any of that until life kicks you in the butt. What do you mean I'm not going to do any of that? I'm figuring I don't I don't need that. I'm going to be funny. I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live. You're going to be a stand-up or on SNL. You weren't going to do the rest I, of it. I'm a funny character actor. That's how I see myself at that time, 1980. Where'd you go to high school? Clarkstown North High School in New City, New York. Right. Rockland County. And you were the funniest guy in your high school? I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe. Really? Who, was, who was funnier? I'm going to say uh, Warren Zykowitz. Psychowitz, <laughs> you finally got it. Out, it's out there. You've been telling people for years at, in the bowling alley. You know what? Rosenthal wasn't that. He was funny, but he was, right, he was no Psychowitz. That's right. So I then moved into the city yeah. and had my ass handed to me by New York because not only couldn't I get parts, I couldn't get an agent even. I couldn't get any. I couldn't. So some friends of mine and I wrote a show for ourselves to be in, and that turned into a hit show, off-Broadway show. At the same time, I had a dear friend from high school named Alan Kirschenbaum. He created the show Down the Shore. 
And he worked for Ed Weinberger at first, and he really helped me. In fact, he was the first person to show up at my apartment with a blue and gray metal box. It's called the Word Processor. This is 1987, right? Yeah, sure. Wow, fancy. So we're going to write a screenplay together, he says. I don't know anything about writing a screenplay, but he's a writer and he has like a book of screenplay structure. But you'd already written a show. You'd already written an off-Broadway show or you had Yeah, hadn't? but it was like, it was so loose and weird and not, you know. It didn't feel it, like serious writing to you? It felt like a fluke that it went, right? So huh. this was real writing. This was sitting with a part at the exact same moment in time. Yeah. The same time that's going, this is going. Okay, so I have like $150 in the bank and we sell this screenplay because he has an agent for as a writer. And that agent sends it to HBO. Now, I'm serious. I have no money. And we sell the screenplay for $70,000 in 1987. And I go from eating tuna fish for dinner every night to eating whatever I want. But so it wasn't, it really wasn't a kind, like, even though you knew you were going to make up your own stuff to stay on stage. You knew if you were on SNL some party, you knew you'd be writing too. I guess so. And I guess I always could like come up with material for myself in acting class at Hofstra, you know, where you would do a scene where you play your your roommate. That's writing. But, you know, we're all writing all the time. We write everything we say. We write. If you're an actor, you write the internal. Yeah, sure. Because the writer doesn't always put in the internal. The, the director doesn't always tell you how to do it when you decide how to do it. Don't you know that's the most important part of writing? We always say it. What's the attitude? What do you want? The yeah. intention. Do you do a lot of that when you write? Do you put a lot of Riley's in explaining? Sometimes. Sometimes. I try not to. I try to make the line self-evident. You, right? you, you want to make the intention of the scene clear almost that there was no description. Exactly right. Yeah, it's hard to be disciplined enough to do that because you want to help everybody along sometimes. You want right? to help. You also want to be clear. You want them to know what That's... you're thinking. You want the reader to say, oh, I get it. Yeah. But the more you put stuff up, the more you realize that if you could write the thing in a way that didn't rely on any of it, yeah. the final product would be better. It's like you want to write a movie without narration needed. If you could. Yeah. If, if you, you could. could. That's what I'm saying. Without all that description, if you yeah. could do it. There's very few movies where the narration is fantastic, like uh, comes to mind the uh, Apocalypse Now. Sure. That narration was essential. You're talking about voiceover. The vo- exactly right. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of it. The first movie that I ever did is this movie Rounders that yeah. has, we wrote it from the beginning because we were trying to figure out how do you tell an internal card player's story yeah. without it. It seemed yeah. like you needed to because he's trying to keep his face blank. Right. And so I w- I've watched, the, you know, so Goodfellas in Casino. Obviously, yes. Scorsese does it better than anybody. Goodfellas is great. There's a show now called uh, Narcos on Netflix. I've heard Have it's wonderful. It? I haven't seen it yet. So, so I just watched the first episode, and it seemed like they were going for that type of narration. And I actually thought they didn't need so much. Really? I like the show. But I'm saying if you're listening, Mr. Narco, maybe you cut down on that. It's done already. They're going to send the Colombians after you now. Oh, my God. What have I done? You can't. I mean, Rosenthal. Compliment, why'd you say this? You can't possibly. So Who am I to piss on that show? That's a great show. I'm not pissing on that show. That's the poll quote. Narcos, (laughs) meh. It's a great show. See, Jewish, you screw up your own thing, right? You have the whole world. You say a stupid thing. Here we go. That's what happens. It's all taken away. That's what happens. Well, I was thinking about this, you, and I was thinking about this Bill Murray quote, which is... um, I always want to say to people who want to be rich and famous, try being rich first, see if it doesn't cover most of it. <laughs> There's not much downside to being rich other than paying taxes and having your relatives ask you for money. But when you become famous, you end up with a 24-hour job. But it seems to me like um, for you- No sympathy. Rich isn't enough. But it seems to me like for you, rich isn't enough. In a certain way, it is. It would have been enough. But in another way, it seems like it's important to you to really be out there, to have m- more. I don't know that I need famous. I do know that being on camera- 
is just a way to connect in the way I always have. What do I mean? When you're a writer, you're looking to connect with your audience. So you hear my voice in Raymond. You just don't know it's me. That's fine. I'm satisfied with that. That's wonderful. But since I did that, I'm now, I guess the more I'm looking for is to connect with you in a more direct way. And that's all this new show is. It's Larry David. Yes. The voice behind Seinfeld. Sure. Curb Your Enthusiasm is him connecting with us in the more direct way. Now you're seeing him. Now he's doing it. He has something to say that only he can say yes. in Curb Your Enthusiasm. This is my version of that, except we're completely different. <laughs> except you and Larry are so different. I think so. And, your sh and this show's not a scripted show. Not one bit. Or do you edit it yourself? Yes. So that therein lies the writing. The editing is writing when you're making a documentary. So I made a documentary exporting Raymond. where Which is terrific. Uh, thank you. It's, it's streaming on Netflix right now. And it's a terrific documentary. Thank and you. it's a great show about process, about expectations versus reality. It's really a great uh, documentary. Thank you. That actually led to this show because PBS saw right. that movie and said, oh, uh, we like the idea of you going places. I said, so does my wife, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I wow. said, what do you have in mind? They said, what do you have in mind? I said, I have this fantasy where I every week go to a, another great city on earth and I show you where to eat. And they said, do you know we've been looking for years for a food and travel show with humor? I'm like, uh, kiss me on the lips. Here we go. And you weren't, you didn't think, I mean, they make such great, you know, if you look at the David Chang show, Mind, Mind of a Chef. Great. PBS does really incredible. By the way, they're the first food network. They put Julia Child on the end. Nobody else did. They did it. They have all the cool food shows. And sadly, them. also, that, that priest who ended up you know, molesting those kids had his own food show on PBS. I won't be what doing that. What was his that. name? Come on, you remember that guy. He had the beard. He was wonderful. It was on for years. I loved his show, and I really felt... I think it's uh, the, the Raping Gourmet. That was it. Yes, the Raping Gourmet. That's exactly it. right. Which should have been a tip-off yeah. to people. I mean, if you're going to call it that. Once he called it that, people should have... You would think Expect people would have known. Raping. You have to. Yeah. Uh, there really was a show, though, and the guy... You, I know you know. I know that. I forgot his name. I, I watched it, it every Jeff. week. It was Jeff. It was. Right? I watched it all. They had the white beard. When you think of it you now. You have a white beard. Not like his. Jeff. Not like <laughs> his, Phil. Get away from me. Do you get the same thrill out of giving somebody something mind-blowing to eat that they haven't had before that you do out of making somebody laugh? Because it feels like you do. It really does. I love it. And people call me for restaurant recommendations all the time, or even they'll call me from the restaurant, what should I order? And nothing gives me more happiness. The best phone call of my life I got from somebody. They said, we're on the Ponte Vecchio in Florence. Do you know any places around here to eat? I said, are you, walk are you walking towards or away from the Duomo? Oh, that's that's how specific I could be because these are my priorities. I know I'm a sick bastard, but I love this thing because talk about connecting. I think we connect over food. I really do. And, and man always has... From coming out of the bushes, we're eating the thing we just killed over the fire, to we're sitting in a four-star restaurant and it's a white tablecloth and we're sitting there for three. We're connecting. We're talking. And the other thing that really cements us then is the sense of humor, the most underrated human value. As much as we love it, I we don't, don't think it's understand. underrated. Every single Playboy Centerfold ever interviewed said it was the most important thing in a man. They're lying. They said the most important thing was sense of humor, so, which must- They're lying. I was so alone. Where were these people? What the hell? You probably just weren't at the right parties. Or I wasn't funny. That could be too. Right. Not you. <laughs> right. Not your sense of humor. No. Sense no. of humor is important. Not yours, Phil. Sense of humor from the football team is funny. Right? Yeah, the funniest guy on the football on team. On the football team. Yes. Fantastic. Not, not Phil Rosenthal. Anyway, 
I think it's how we choose our friends, right? A similar sense of humor, or at least an appreciation of each other's sense of humor. I'll go further. It's who we marry. We don't even recognize it. And once the laughs go, you know, you go. I agree that you can't marry someone if you don't laugh at the same stuff. Or you can, but it's very hard to make it work. Or at One, least you, she appreciates your sense of humor, you appreciate. Yeah, I'm saying you laugh at the same stuff. You laugh together. You, you That's laugh it. Together. That's everything. Laugh and eat together. Well, I boiled it down in my however many years on earth. Laughs, food, friendship, family, traveling. That's it. That's, these are the things. This is what I'm looking for. And your show combines these things. That's it. So why wouldn't I want to do this the rest of my life? I'll do other things too. I'm very happy to do other things. Yeah, well, what brings you joy? Like what now? Because that's you do what, get the sense. Those like five I, things bring me joy. But when I read, read your book, I remember reading it and thinking, boy, this, this guy seems terrific. I also remember you were really careful. The only people you called idiots were the people, and you never named them, who worked at uh, the production company. Only because I met idiots. You meet idiots in your life. You have to call them. It's not, I'm not being mean. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but you have to recognize an idiot when you see one. You have to, you know... Most of the political landscape is filled with them. Were you, before you were, you know, successful, had enough money, you never had to work again, all that stuff, were you as free with your opinions about things? Yeah, have to be. You were always. Yeah. But I'm saying internally, you do have to recognize when someone is out to get you. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk to Tom Hanks once. Yeah. Okay. Maybe the world's sweetest, nicest guy who understands his role and how fortunate he is. But when he's in a meeting and he sees it, you know, they're trying something, pulling something on him, he stops and says, gentlemen, you cannot take advantage of my good nature. Right. And you felt that because of the, the outer manifestation of who you are, which mm -hmm. is sweet, funny, charming. Try to be. That it could present as a kind of weakness. Stupidity. Or perhaps when you were younger. Someone to take advantage perhaps of. Perhaps when you were younger, you felt that happened before you okay, learned how to defend yourself. Absolutely happened. I was beaten up on a daily basis. Well, I think we're getting to something. a little shrimp. We're getting to something now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you felt like people didn't see you for what you knew you could be. I didn't know what I could be. I just stopped hitting me. <laughs> That's all. You know, I could be taller if you'd stop hitting me. Yeah, but saying that makes sense, and it's funny. Yeah. But, but it's not, I don't think, wholly true, because nobody becomes what you've become yeah. without some internal voice saying... I'm fundamentally misunderstood, and I can find a way to put who I really am out there in the world. Like I had something to prove, you mean? Yeah. I never consciously thought that, honestly. I just thought, I feel like I can do this, so I'm going to do this, because I don't know what the hell else to do. I'm terrible at sports. I'm terrible with the ladies. I'm terrible at certain things. I'm not uh, handy in any way. Well, but I can, you, I think, do this. You've mentioned the ladies thing a bunch of times already yes. in a short period of time. So, what, well, should I lie down? Well, no, and you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, you can. If you want to, by yeah. the way, you can. But no, no, but you mentioned it, and, and I think anyone listening would hear it. And, and it's funny, it's, a, a, it's obviously like a you know, time immemorial comedians would mention it, but, but you mentioned it in a way that it feels like that's part of, that it must have been frustrating to look around and wonder why, why they didn't see oh, no. you. Oh, no, Being I seen, I always say like the James Cameron avatar was so successful secretly. The real thing is he figured out to have the people say to each other, I see you, meaning I see who you really are. Okay. And it, it feels to me like you, these girls look through that, you. I didn't stay in that movie oh, long you enough to get that. You should have. But, uh, but it seems like to you, this idea of really actually being seen is important, recognized, known for what you are, because the girls... I thought it was like, you use whatever you have. Like Jack Nicholson in Terms of Endearment. She says, this is pathetic. You put the, your, all your memorabilia from your moonwalk and the thing just to, yeah. to get girls. And he says, the greatest thing, sometimes it isn't enough. 
Right. Right? Yeah. All I had going for me was maybe I could make the girl laugh. Maybe. So it wasn't like, look at me, I'm great. It was, use what you got. That's it. But did you buy, I guess the question is people react one of a couple of ways. And one is, they're right about me. And the other is, they're wrong about me. Right? Mm-hmm. We, did you always react the same way internally, somewhere knowing your parents were telling you you're whatever, that you thought, all right, I have something special in me. Or did you think it may never happen for me? I was not super confident, honestly. Okay. You I really weren't. wasn't. No, I'm still plagued by self-doubt. Every single thing I write, I put something out on uh, Facebook and I check it with my wife first before I put it out there. By the way, sometimes you put the same amount of thought into the friggin' tweet as you do for something you're getting paid for. And you're like, what am I doing? (laughs) It becomes a job. Like when it first started, I said, you know what? This is a good discipline, like a puzzle every day. Oh, did you do it a lot in the beginning? At the beginning. When it first came and I saw my other comedian friends and people, oh, I'll do this. I'll write a joke a day. Well, what the hell? I'm staying up at night thinking about my joke for tomorrow. What the hell am I doing? It's pressure. I I have enough pressure in my life. It's like golf. Oh, yeah. I'm not playing golf. Life is frustrating enough. You don't play golf? No. When Raymond got way into it, you didn't get into it? No, I thought he was stupid. <laughs> Though the documentary about Ray and Kevin trying to make the cut Hilarious. at Pebble Beach is one of the great Hilarious, entertaining right? half hours ever. He, he swears to me that if he could be a great golfer, the way Jack Benny used to say, if I could play the violin, seriously, I'd give all the other stuff up. That's how much like he Steve loves Like Steve Martin it. and the banjo, which he essentially has now, right? He is a banjo. He's one of the top banjo players in the world, apparently. Yeah. Although he's a special case because I think, I think, I don't know him. I'm sure you know Steve. I know him a little. He's a renaissance man. It seems to me that he could be the best at almost anything he wanted to be the best at. because he's a super genius. Yeah. He seems like, I, I, you know, most things, if you work really hard, you could become sort of proficient in a certain way. Yeah. That guy seems like he's made of, he's just from another. I can't play a musical instrument. I can't do it. Have you tried? Yeah. You As want, a kid. You wanted to? Yeah, I wanted to try everything, and, and I couldn't do any of it. I didn't have that capacity. My guest today is Phil Rosenthal. His new series, I'll Have What Phil's Having, is now playing on PBS. We'll be right back after this short break. This episode of The Moment is sponsored by Open Account. Money is one of those last great taboos, something we all need but rarely dare to discuss until now. Open Account, a series of interviews created by Suchin Pak and Umka Bank, explores our collective uncomfortable silence around money. Honest? emotional, and sometimes comical. Open Account goes deep into the most rewarding, challenging, and paradoxical aspects of the number one leading stressor in America, money. Open Account is now available on iTunes. When, when, you were, when, when that was the case, when you were young and you were thinking about this and you say it wasn't any great ambition, it was just to be funny, to yes. somehow get on television? I watch TV more than normal children. I loved it. And uh, at some point, I think in my teen years, when my mother was saying, go outside, which was the number one thing I heard growing up, go Go outside, outside. my bullshit excuse to her was, I'm learning, ma. And it turned out to be true. It was bullshit, but it turned out to be true. Exactly right. I said it as bullshit. She knew it was bullshit. I even thought saying it, it was bullshit, and it wasn't bullshit. I mean, or how did your ambition manifest itself? Did you think I'm going to use this stuff to get a house someday to be financially no. free. Did you, was no. any of that on your no. mind at all? No, I'll t- give you the God's honest truth. When I was in New York City in the 80s, when New York was really not clean and nice, were you here then? Uh, yeah, well, I, mo- no, I moved here in 88 from college. Okay. I grew up in New York, okay. but uh, uh, Long on Island. Long Island, an yeah. hour out of the city. Right. 
I moved here like the day I got out of college. I moved to the city, 88. Okay. So I was still here. I would would leave the next year, 89, for LA. But the 80s is I lived here in a a one-bedroom apartment with Rob Wiener up in Washington Heights, which I knew because my grandparents settled in Washington Heights after World War II. They called it Frankfurt on the Hudson, up at 190th and Fort Washington, where the cloisters were my backyard. It was a lovely community. It still is. Rent was cheap, $300 for a one-bedroom. Wow. But you and Rob split. We split that. I had a job as a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art where I was fired one night uh, for falling asleep on a 300-year-old bed. Awesome. That's really fantastic. Fantastic life story. I went from that to managing a deli at 70th and 3rd when I was 21 years old. Which job did you like more, the deli or the museum? The deli. (laughs) That's great. The deli. And, you know, I got a lesson in show running. I didn't set out to be the manager. The the owner just was a drunk who would leave at 3 o'clock, and the restaurant was mine. From 3 to 11. At 21. At 21 years old. I thought I was just working the cash register at front and taking deli orders, sandwich orders. But he would leave and say, run the place for me. And so I was responsible for everything. And so I had to make decisions for everyone, creative decisions even. That was like a lesson. But one day I showed up at work. He had closed up work without telling anyone. And I'm standing outside on... Third Avenue going, where's my job? No job anymore. No job anymore. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And I still, this is the point, job to job like that, hand to mouth. I thought how lucky I am to live in a place where I'm free to pursue happiness. That's not bullshit. I swear to God, that sustained me because there are places and there are families and there are people who don't support your choice in life. Yeah. You will be a coal miner like your father. Yeah. You don't have a choice. Yeah, those are the letters. I get these letters all the time every day from people who say, you know, I know you say um, a half hour a day. If I wrote for a half hour a day, then I'd, you know, one page a day, I'd have a script in three months, you know, three months, a hundred page, but the responsibilities, yes. but where would I eat? What would I do? But, 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 and I, and, and it makes me, those letters make me sad because I, and not in a judgmental way, I yeah. understand their, that they, that their worldview is made by their family, by their situation. Of and I just want to say, but if you want this thing, yes. if you want to be Phil, yes. if you want the chance at it, you, yes. you have to get rid of those, but I can't, but I can't. And you have to be willing to take the job at the deli that you lose, right? You got it. I, I, I don't know how to you, do it otherwise. For those of us who are blessed and lucky enough to be working in this business that, that doesn't look or feel like work to most people, right? You have to have this. I have to do it. No choice compulsion, obsession even. So that thing you felt. Absolutely. And at the same time, lucky that I could pursue it even though I was wholly unsuccessful at it for years. But lucky that you knew some part of you knew you were talented at it or that you would keep going until you got good enough at it. But look, I'm alive is how I felt. Look, I'm getting these odd jobs. I sold farm and implement cleaner on the phone in a boiler room on Park Avenue South. That was the first job out of college. Well, so those are the jobs. Yeah. What did unsuccessful look like? Meaning, what were you trying to make that was people were saying no to? Was it just getting on stage? Get an audition. Get just get in the room. The no's you know, are... you go to the cattle calls for auditions to be to be an extra in a goddamn or have one line in a in a movie or a TV show. Who the hell cares? But I would go and do that. And as I'm sitting there, I'm going, this is cool. 
I'm kind of in show business. I'm kind of like in the television world. So you had a little Rupert Pupkin in you. Don't we all? A little? Get, yeah, well, that's why, that's it's why so we identify to, with well, that movie. That's why it's the most uncomfortable thing in the world to watch if you do any of this. I recently went on... Uh, one of the great movies. I went on Leonard Moulton's show. Yeah. And he asked me, well, let's talk about uh, your favorite underrated movie, maybe a comedy. And it came to mind immediately. It's Broadway, Danny Rose. Yeah, it's not. I don't even think it's underrated. I think it's one of the great... But it's not, it's not the first movie that comes to mind when you say Woody Allen, but it does for me. You too? I know it basically by heart, yeah. If you're in show business at any level, and you were in New York for any period of time, and that was the 80s, it is your movie. Well, yeah, I say I said yesterday about somebody, uh, he made a beautiful dollar in this business. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Which is perfect. A line from the movie. It's also, it's the movie where he plays another character, not the Woody Allen that he plays in the other movies. There is in the series Billions, which yeah. will be on Showtime starting in January. I look forward to it. A, in, in, in episode number seven, mm-hmm. a gigantic reference to Broadway Danny Rose. Great. You'll, you will see it and instantly get it. Look at us connecting over the great yeah. thing. Well, yeah, and by the way, just that they open in the deli and yep. those guys are sitting there. T- it's yep. everything you would like, right? Comedians. Comedians, food, food stories. Story. And isn't it beautiful how the movie takes on the tone of a story being told by comedians? So it has a bit of the exaggeration. It has the spirit of love and humor throughout it. It's a tale. It's a fable. It's, it's so great and it's so positive and beautiful in a way that the other movies, maybe Hannah and Your Sister has a beautiful message. At the end, this thing leads you to this incredible conclusion. Could make me cry thinking about it. It's also one of the sad, I mean, poor Barney Dunn. It's one of the sad, <laughs> I mean, you know. Oh, my God. Well, you know, it is one of the saddest yeah. in its own way, but I agree. Yeah, they we, got it, him pretty bad. They did. It's, it's pretty bad, they say. Lou, Lou, uh, it's a definite type of situation here, but okay, so you're saying Broadway Danny Rose is an example of a lot of this stuff. What it takes. The love of it. The love of it. No matter what the situation. He loved the one-legged tap dancer. He loved the one-armed juggler. He loved the blind xylophone. The bird act, yeah. Because it was show business. And when you get down to it, if you're Milton Berle in that movie or you're the the one-armed juggler, a booking is a booking is a booking. (laughs) And we're all trying to make it on stage because once we're on stage and once we're doing what we feel we were born to do, we feel purposeful and useful well, and loved in Well, life. also as a showrunner, I imagine, you yeah. can feel a little like Danny at times, trying to keep everything yeah. moving, trying to get this, you know, yeah. the star to do what you need them to do. Yeah. I'm not saying Ray, who I know is your partner but, 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 and all but, the rest But behind of the scenes, kind of making the thing go. That's it. You have to make the thing go. Well, the, to me, the underrated one, because I think both Brody Danny Rose and King of Comedy are, are regarded as great movies, but uh, you're in what I think is the most accurate movie about, I know what you're going to say. It is. It just is the first 40 minutes of that movie is, is, is perfect. exactly uh, perfect. Because he took the time every, to sit the, in that room. The movie's called The TV Set, and right. the, and, and Phil is great in the movie. Oh, thank you. Uh, I just have a little part. But talk about underrated. Nobody saw that movie. It's a, it's a perfect representation of the TV business. I had the director of that movie in here on one of the earliest podcasts I did before there were really very many listeners. Jake. And Jake. And he Kasdan. was coming into... Pr- to promote something else, yeah. and all we talked about was the TV Great. set, because if people want to understand what it's like to try to run a show, to try, to, especially a network show, to try to get a show on the air, 
forget running it the, just to get it on the I, air. And I will tell you if you're listening to this and you have any a- ambition in this area, like I get to work in cable and it's totally different, but I've done the network thing and the casting process in that movie is the yeah. most, isn't it? Didn't you yeah. feel like you were living deja vu when you were in part of that? I had uh, I had experience to draw on as an actor. Did you help Jake? Did you talk about the show with him? Did you talk about the movie with him and help him figure he out? He didn't need my help because he had done it too. Once you've done it, you speak the same language. We understand each other. And we laugh at the same things. And we, uh, you know. Yes. Uh, I had lived a tiny bit. So did other people. Because we'd been there. More with Phil Rosenthal after a word from our sponsor. This episode of The Moment is brought to you by Braintree. Code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub. Then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless. It's almost magical. Add it to your app with just a few lines of code, and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, we'll support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support means you'll always be ready, whether you're earning your first dollar or your billion. To check it out for yourself, visit braintreepayments.com slash moment. That's braintreepayments.com slash moment. All right, I want to talk about your new show. So right at the beginning of... Uh, Which one did even you see? The, the Tokyo. Oh, the, the and then I watched I watched Tokyo, but then uh-huh. I also watched the Previews. clips from a bunch of other stuff. Cool. Um, I would have watched the first two episodes, but, but yeah, yeah, I'm running a. Sh- you know, Tokyo's just... the premiere. Uh, the next one is Italy, and that might be my favorite place. Italy. It's incredible. Yeah, Italy yeah. wins. If you're an eater, if you like beautiful things and That's incredible it. food, game over. Right. It's like. But what I thought was interesting is even just in like the little opening thing, you talk about how. Um, you say that you, your food was horrible at home. This is just in your even like the opening materials growing up. So when did you first really taste something? You know, Robert Parker tells that story about when he was in the first time he drank wine and it, it I don't know changed his life. Oh, it's great. It's in some book of Robert Parker's. He's, yeah. He talks about being on a trip with somebody and yeah. tasting wine for the first time and like his head exploding because like, wow. he always have soda. He didn't know. He didn't know he had a special palate. And then suddenly, what was the thing for you when you went, oh, there's food. I'm serious when I say there's things I never tasted growing up. And when I was in college, some friends of mine and I went to an Italian restaurant that was perfectly dumpy and not expensive and just a, in Long Island. On Long Island, you should say. And we're sitting there. We're just having pasta with sauce. I'm like, oh, my God, this is delicious. Where? What, was it Don Pepe's? What, what do remember. you think it was? Don't remember. Well, but I do remember plate of spaghetti with red sauce on it and thinking, this is fantastic. And they're like, what is wrong with you? It's just pasta and sauce. I said, no, no. Like, what are these chopped up white things in the pasta? They say, what, garlic? I said, yes, garlic. (laughs) I never had garlic. I was living like an animal. I didn't know what that flavor was. I never had it. All right. How old do you think you were? It was like, you know, when Dorothy opens the door in the Wizard of Oz and now the world is in color? Yeah. Garlic. 19, you think you are at this time? I'm going to say 18, yeah. And do you say to yourself, I have to have like more? Of that? I got to go. I got to have. Uh, I gotta food have... is a good thing now? Yeah. Somebody says, uh, you want to get a steak? No, I don't want steak. Why not? Steak is terrible. Right. You said it was, you were tort- <laughs> at home, it was what? Cooked brat. <laughs> it felt cooked, like a punishment. Because it was cooked uh, well done all the way through. I, I guess for safety reasons, for, I don't know why. Look, it's, uh, I don't blame my parents they were holocaust survivors they they we didn't have a lot of money they both worked the food was not a priority so would you go out like now i know you'll go with our friend our mutual friend ed levine and you'll yes. go 
searching out the best places in some region. And it doesn't have to be expensive. uh, In fact, I prefer, I'd rather have a great slice of pizza. I was at Joe's yesterday on Carmine's, which is the quintessential slice of New York. Yeah, one of the three best slices in New York. I'm going to say the Faras. Well, yeah, but it's a lot of work, but yes. To get there. And just a deal. To well, deal with it. There'll be a line. The long line yeah. and then the mood. Of the, yes, but it's great. It is great. Tell me your In Manhattan. Well, like little, I just think New yeah. York Pizza Supreme is incredible. Which Ed agree On uh, 7th Avenue, I mean 8th Avenue and 27th Street. If you haven't there. had one of those slices, there's a he problem. He took me to Prova, 8th and 20th. Have you oh, been there yet? Oh, that's good too, but you got to go to- it's really good. It's really good. And Salad Carmine's is still great on 101st and Broadway. It, great. It, that's still, to me, a great slice. No? Yes. Yes. I think I might prefer Joe's a little. Because it, I mean, it's crisp on the bottom. The other thing you Joe's get- Joe's is right around the corner from here. I mean, yeah, yes, I go there all the go. time. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about it is because it's so popular, you're getting a fresh pie every two minutes. That's yes. essential, by the way, because the reheat hurts the pie. Yeah, of course. Sometimes, I, I don't want to get into the weeds in this, but see, yeah. the problem I have with Joe's is sometimes they're moving so quickly that the crust isn't crisp. Oh, I haven't had that. Sometimes I love that place. Yeah. I go there a lot. It's right. one of the best slices in the city. By the I, way, you know what I'm seeing now is tours. Like I have to wait for the tour to finish. Pizza tours or New York food New York tours, food they all stop there. Well, now. yeah, there's one now that starts, if, you, if you're if you in New York, there's one now that starts right around the corner from here also at uh, Murray's Cheese. That's, that, that, I saw them with a the Murray's Cheese bag. They were, And then they come across the street to Carmine. Have to, you had to, the breakfast melt at Murray's Cheese? Just the breakfast sandwich at Murray's Cheese Shop? Yeah, Ed took me that. It was awesome. It's the, I think it's, the, it's so simple, but I think it's the best one. But now this obsession that you have. Look, uh, yeah, like you're not obsessed. Look at you. Oh, I'm completely <laughs> obsessed by it. No, no my, my, I mean, I get the same call you get. That's why I find your show yeah. so great. Oh, I mean, I get that phone call, though. I couldn't tell them well, which way I to walk. New, when I do I have, New York episode uh, season two. Oh, I'm there with you for You're New York. You're doing a segment with me. I'm I in. I think with you, me, Ed. That's perfect That's segment. a good scene. That's ideal. No, Ed and I have done this. When my son, who's now 19, when my son was eight, we would go with Ed all over and just, yeah. uh, you know, we would hear there was a, a slice or a banh mi or something and we had to go find. What's more fun than that? Yeah. Have you done Vietnam? Not yet. You're going to do it? or Of course. Uh, when are you going to do it? As soon as I can. Second season, you think yeah. you'll go? And when you were here, though, so you eat this because I, I really love. I picked. To I had to pick because happen. I want to inspire. There's a point to the show. Which I want is? to inspire you to get off the couch and come and travel, right? So I wanted to start with Earth's greatest hits. Great. You see, you have a natural commercial sensibility. I, I like what you said. That the difference between you and Bourdain's show is that uh, you're as, you're like yeah, Bourdain. Exactly if you're like, someone who's scared of everything. I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. Yeah, I love it. Because I love him and I watch him. I'm not doing what he does. I'm not going to Beirut to get shot at. I'm not eating the part of the animal that would kill me. The only disappointment I have about Bourdain's show... Don't say it. ...is uh, that he's a great writer. Yeah. And I wish he were writing. Because he's the closest to A.J. Liebling for somebody who's writing first person about the experiences of food. He's not writing? I thought he was. He doesn't write those books. No, but I mean, he writes the show, but he doesn't write the books anymore. He used to write these incredible books. Busy with the show. Kitchen Confidential. And by the way, we see after 15 years of him doing this, he's evolved into a journalist, a full-blown journalist. So that's very interesting to me because the food led him there. Have you read his novel? Not yet. He's all, it came, you know, 20 years ago. He's a great writer, that guy. Oh, that I know. And he really- I love this first book. Yeah, oh, Kitchen Confidential. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, to me, that guy's great. As are you. So what, what else are you writing? Uh, I'm working on a play. How's it going? Terrible. Why? I've stopped because Why? I don't know how 
truthful I can be without hurting people. And I think there's a need to be truthful. It used to be like on Raymond, which is very much based on my family. I would get this call from my mother. Are you out of your mind? We have to see these people. And my joke, not really joking, was your comfort is something I'm willing to sacrifice for the program. But there is a limit. Why? I can't explain it. And I may get over it or I may find a way around it. But at this moment, you're asking me, how's it going? I'm stuck right now. Stuck because you can't see a way to do it without being truthful? And hurting people. I can't get more specific than that because they might be listening. No, that's really specific. Yeah. I, understand. I don't need you to be more yeah. specific than that. And you haven't thought about the workarounds to that. Oh, I, that's all I do is think meaning, about the workarounds. Meaning writing through it, yeah. knowing you can choose later to revise it. True. Because like, what's really underneath it? Is it that you don't want to feel what you'd feel when you were writing that stuff? No. Because this, you <laughs> sure, this it. stuck thing is like a special, that's truly oh, yeah? like something, I, yeah, yeah. So I want to understand it better. Okay. Like, does it bother you that you're stuck? Yes. Were you making good progress till you got there? Yes. Was this idea in your head for a long time? Yes. How far in did you get? 30 pages. And that's when you realized, oh, I'm going to have to do this thing that I've told yes. myself I'm going to finally do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you, for a long time, you've like said, I'm going to do it. I'd say for a year or two. It, it's yeah. been in there. Yeah. Huh. What I'll, would you tell somebody else? Maybe go away from it for a while and come back. Do you know, though, story-wise, what it would be? Yeah. I might have to wait for people to die. To put it up. You might have <laughs> yes. to wait for people to die to produce the show. Right, right. No, I, I'm, but I'm, why to write it? I don't know. The self-doubt is there, too. Maybe this isn't worth doing. There's always that. That's on top of the other. Worth doing for... How would you... But can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you feel differently at the end of the day when you've done this kind of writing? I always feel better having written. Everybody does. No, writers do. Yeah. I'm saying, if you knew you wrote five pages of that thing today, somehow, yeah, yeah. wouldn't you sleep just a... T I mean, maybe you were, wouldn't you just feel like a little bit better about Phil? I don't know. It could also be like, aren't you walking further down the railroad track toward the train that's coming at you? Or should you get off that track, idiot? <laughs> that's <laughs> what I tell myself. Get off the track, myself. idiot, because yeah. you're going to hurt somebody and kindness and yeah. being kind right. is what you've told yourself is more important. Uh, I just don't physically have the ability to do that knowingly. To hurt. Yeah. Now, by the way, it's funny you should bring this up because I make fun of my mother's cooking. Yeah. In the opening credits of the show I, and I, then I, people yeah. interview me and I make fun. And a friend of my mother's has written to me taking up my mother's position and excoriating me for doing this. How could you do this to your mother? Right. No, and I understand that's the, sur but that's a very surface, and, and it's a safe, acceptable thing to make fun of in the end, even if somebody got I, mad. That's what I think too. I mean, that's why I do it because I make jokes. Look, uh, the, the mother in Raymond is based on my mother and I didn't hear any, you know what I mean? But as an artist. Yeah. When you're an artist of a yeah. high order, yeah. don't you feel you. like, well, you are. I mean, you're an artist and people, isn't there a way that you can tell yourself that the catharsis that you're going to bring about for other people is worth it. That others have lived, you know, it's this Emersonian idea that if you write about the secret thing you're scared to write about, uh, it'll touch a chord in other people because they're feeling 
the same thing and they don't have either the means like, uh, or know, way to express it. That's, I feel like that's what we did with our TV show. I right. I feel like that's what the higher purpose might have been of that show. And so, I mean, the thought that you're walking around and it's all fine to say later unless you get hit by a truck. And so, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Like, so seize the moment? Well, you all know. Right, let's see how this show goes. I got to get through this first. And then I do intend to return to it. This is the break I'm taking, is to launch this food and travel series, which, by the way, I see as as an important work of mine as anything else I've ever done. Because you want to you want to encourage people to I think see the, the world, and, and, and you, you think that what happens when you share cultures is very important. I think the world would be a better place if everyone could experience a little bit of someone else's experience. And, yeah. and I'm trying to do it through food and humor as the way in. When you eat something from somewhere else, you're literally taking in another culture. You're expanding your mind just a little. There's no more mind expanding thing we can do in life than travel, I think. And you can even travel in your own town. I understand that we can't all afford to, to go overseas. No, but you, there's, a t there's a neighborhood here that you haven't been to, a cuisine you haven't tried. 100%. Make your life better. 100%. I was in shooting, I was shooting in, a, in a Park Slope the other day. Yes. And uh, I realized, oh, I think there's a great banh mi place around here. And yeah. a writer that I work with lived to a block away from where we were shooting. And I said, come on, let's go get banh mi. And she said, of course you'd find that there. I go, you haven't been to the banh mi place? And she went, well, I didn't know. And I said, are you crazy? Come on. And, she, you know, of, I'm with you. I agree. You felt it. Well, you feel and, and she ate it and she was smile? like, this is incredible. There and you go. We, then we brought them back for a bunch yeah. of other people. Yeah. Now and she knows about the word banh mi. Right. And what is that? It's Vietnamese. What about Vietnamese? Well, they have other things too. Really? What a, learn a little something. Make your life better. It, you, you can't help it. And I don't even say you have to like everything. You see it in the show. I don't like everything. I'm honest. But in the same way, my mission, the reason that I do this is has very much to do with the thing you just accidentally brought up, which is about fear. And which yeah. is about people who are creative fighting through, you know, I think Defending Your Life is one of the most brilliant movies oh, ever I because in the whole movie, and even as an atheist, yes. the whole movie is about this idea that these kind of fears, these blocks that you have, yeah. you have to get past them to like become You're right. the best of yourself. You're right. And to be good to everybody around you, the higher good might be. Yeah. To let go of the anger by writing that, because maybe the fear is you write the thing, you yeah. can't be angry at those people anymore. Oh, that's heavy. Well, think about it. Mr. Koppelman, that's heavy. Right. Well, that's my mission. It's like to say to someone like you, you're this yeah. great artist. Don't be, don't still hate. Get through it. Write the thing and let it go. I don't even have a hate, but it, I have a fear. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You got to dive through. You got to. You're right. You're right. Oh, you helped me today. I come on your show. It's great having Phil Rosenthal here. Stick around for the last part of our conversation after this short break. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, we're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, um, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music. Breathing, but you know, I'm not gonna mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to the message on iTunes. And I just want to talk a little bit before I let you go here about show running. 
and about whether whether you would ever, you know, in the show you're doing now, I'm sure you're the, are you the showrunner of your own show? Pretty much. I get to make the show I want, yes. Would you ever want to go and run a fictional show again? Sure. I mean, is it something you want to sure. still do? I just need two things. I need inspiration and I need the right horse. Right. Right? I want to find, you know, Raymond doesn't come along every day. I was going to say, the reason I didn't ask you all the stuff about how Raymond happened is because I've heard you talk about it on many shows. And people should find it. You did a great one about the writing process with, I can't remember his name, the guy who wrote for The Daily Show for a long time. Uh, uh, Havlin. uh, J.R. Havlin. You did a phenomenal episode with him. Oh, thanks. Uh, People should find that because you really talked a lot about how you think about writing this stuff. And I loved listening to that. Oh, thank you. And uh, you've done it in a few other places, so people can find that, and it's really worth it. And the you... book really has it. That's why I wrote the book, yeah. to pay, pay it forward. To, so, and, and it's actually being used in schools. I'm sure that it is. It was, I, I read that book then, and I've been meaning to go read it again now that I'm, I'm doing this. And it, it's terrifically helpful, and it should be uh, taught in schools for sure. But did you get everything out of that that you wanted? Was it a, tr- a wholly satisfying experience, or was there still something nagging that you weren't the one out there? Oh, God, no. It was completely 100% satisfying, down to the way we ended. Well, yeah, you guys actually succeeded at the end, which nobody does. We got to you made say, a good fi- yeah. we're leaving now, as opposed to getting canceled. That rarely happens. And is this show that you're doing, is it living up to the idea that you had in your head, the current show? Absolutely, 100%. Now, do I think uh, there's room for growth and certain things that we're doing we're experimenting and seeing if they work or not work and will it get better as it goes yes are some episodes going to be better than others yes what are your favorite episodes like if i'm going to go dvr a bunch of them what am i watching first well uh there's only six okay i like them all for different reasons italy happens to have a personal story in addition to the other stuff where'd you go in italy i went to florence and umbria which is your favorite restaurant in florence he <laughs> i have a few how about dario cecchini's butcher shop and he's built like three restaurants around the butcher shop it's a half hour out of florence i'm gonna say that's my favorite and there's a gelato place that's my favorite gelato in Ah, the world you got to warn people that a lot of the time the gelato is commercialized now and they're the same they got to go find the right gelato if you if you're walking down the street in italy or any place and you see beautiful piles mountains sculpted in the case that comes from a factory that way avoid that gelato yeah the real stuff isn't as beautiful. It's in a tin in the thing, usually not piled high. Or if it is, it's a lump because it doesn't they have like just, the frills. It doesn't yes, have like tuxedo frills like a beautiful, on it. Beautiful scalloping of yeah, the. That's right, right. The scalloping. It yeah. doesn't have that. No, because right. these artisans just took a peach and went like this and made it into ice cream, right? Made it into gelato. And it explodes. And explodes you can't even in believe your it. mouth, the flavor. As I told every girl that I dated in high school, looks are in everything. <laughs> <laughs> so gelato, Vivoli, I'm not even going to tell you my reaction when this beautiful woman, Silvana Vivoli, third generation gelateria person, right? Her grandfather opened the first gelato store in Florence, Italy. Can you imagine? Vivoli, she makes me right in front of me the stuff. And I get to taste it. Incredible. Did you go you to got... Pandemonio there? No, I might have. But this it woman wasn't memorable oh, oh, it's a family me. restaurant. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. In Florence. Yeah. I love Ilatini for the steak. I love, but if you're going to have a steak, you go to, you go to Dario Cecchini's place in Panzano. He's famous. Remember the book Heat by Bill Buford? I love that book. Yes. Okay. So he goes to train with Dario Cecchini, the world's most famous butcher. 
he shows me how to grill a steak. I remember that whole thing. It's from one that of book. the highlights of my life, not just that show. Yeah, Mario has been on this show. Mario's a I good, good friend of mine. I love I him. Love and him. Uh, so I remember, but I read Heat before I became fr- uh, friends yes. with Mario. So he's a legendary. And so it was yeah. amazing when we. It took a while for me to just get be able to be comfortable knowing sort of like the standards that uh, that he has. So Italy episode. Give me one other episode that you feel is is special and why. Our, our finale is, is is L.A. And I did that for two reasons. And don't fight me. L.A. is the best food city in America at the moment. Look at your face. You said I can't fight. Tell me why. The cultural diversity. So we have more of everything. Okay. And when you have more of everything, your chance of hitting the best of something is greater. And so we do. Right now. I'm not saying forever. And I'm from New York. And I love New York. I'm a New Yorker. I'm telling you objectively, for me, subjectively, (laughs) for me, that is the definition of subjective, isn't it? For me. Um, The biggest Chinese population in the world outside of China is there, San Gabriel Valley. The biggest populations of many cultures are there, outside of their native countries. And so, you know how when you take a lot of pictures, two of them are great? We hit it. We hit it. There are more great sushi bars in Los Angeles. There are more great Mexican restaurants, tacos. You haven't even hit my favorite thing out there, which is the Thai food. Unbelievable. In fact, I turned Ed on to my favorite Thai restaurant anywhere, and I'm so hoping it's not in your show because it's going to ruin everything for me, which is Spicy Thai BBQ run by the two sisters. I know exactly where that is and what it is, and I didn't feature it on the show yet. That makes me happy. Yes. Because they would be overrun. But the other reason that I featured an American city out of the six, PBS wanted all international. I said, we have to do an American city. They said, why? Because of this idea that I don't want to be elitist in any way. I don't want to say only people with money who can afford to travel overseas can travel. As I said, you can travel in your own town. Well, the I idea go is to neighborhoods in, city, in right. LA that I never wa- went to before and I've lived there 25 years. You mean to go eat? Yeah, and to explore. I'm not gonna argue with you. Listen, yeah. I mean, Thai food, sushi, and burgers are better in LA than any place else. I'll give you that. Not, ta- not tacos, not, ta- did you say tacos? I didn't. I said Thai food. You don't. You don't sushi agree. Sushi and burgers. You don't think Mexican food? I, well, I think Santa Barbara even is better for tacos. Well, I do. I think Superica to I me is Superica. the best taco I've ever had in my life. Is it Superica? I, I would. Could, I've I made the drive you. from L.A. to Superica and back just to have the taco. Did you have gorilla tacos yet? No. Here we go. Did you have? Oh, did from, you, have oh car- you mean the truck? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's great. Carnitas El, great. Carnitas El Momo. No, but I, I love with, how you're lighting up. I wish people could see that I, you light up when I, you talk about. I this went stuff. with Bill Esparza. Who's the taco? They call him the Taco Whisperer. You know, he's like the he wrote the Tacopedia, because somebody in New York said uh, New York has better tacos, and he went insane and wrote. Here are the forty styles of tacos we have in Los Angeles. Forget places. And and you think as good as La Superica? There are places that are as good, different, but as good. Yes, yes. That chili rellena wanted super crazy, crazy. it's like one of the, the you know it was one of the great things i've ever had like if i had to you know if you told me i could have 30 things and then that would be it if you get it would there, be one forgot, of the things i forgot what day it's the special like they want to say wednesday there's a weekly special of chilaquiles those are the best i ever had in yeah the incredible knock knock you knock out. out no i mean it's um yeah well we agree on that i i know that we would agree on a lot of this food when stuff do we eat? way more we got it well you're going to eat with your parents or i would have said we could go but you're going to eat oh. listen phil rosenthal thank you for being here people should watch your show thank you you should write your play. I will. And good. And I'm calling you when I'm stuck. Yeah, call me when you're stuck. I'll help. I swear. Um, 
this is my favorite thing to do. Like you do with food, my favorite thing to do is help people get past whatever's blocking them creatively. Isn't that nice? Then you feel useful. I was in a blocked life, writer until right? I was thirty, and it changed everything when I got past it. And all I want to do is help people figure out how to stop it. It's fantastic because you feel better. Because I think when you're blocked, yeah, you're toxic, and then you become toxic to the people around you. <gasps> That's what drives me crazy. That's why you got to get through it so you don't spread the toxicity. It's like if you're constipated, same thing. That's why, like, sit walking around going, I can't because I'll hurt them. It's like, just fucking write the thing and then put it in a drawer till they die. Come on, Phil! I'm with you, Brian. Phil Rosenthal, you got to watch his show. This guy is, in fact, you are truly, your joy for life is the most infectious thing. Thank you. And I, I mean, I said it a little at the beginning of the show, but I will say that all people say about you, man, in a business where all people want to do is run other people down is, um, but all of it in the restaurant business and the <laughs> entertainment business, all people say is uh, that you're the best guy. Oh, thank you. So, uh, which is a lovely thing to I'm have people the, say I'm about you. I'm the lucky you. guy. I'm the lucky. You guy. can find Phil on Twitter at what's your name on there? Phil Rosenthal. That's imaginative. You don't have to look, uh, That's a lot of creativity. I'm on the Facebook. Same Phil dot Rosenthal Instagram. Go make fun of me for my photos. Uh, I'm gonna follow you on Instagram now. <laughs> I am uh, at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. You can email me themomentbk at gmail Do not send me any. Uh, movies, teleplays, anything like that. If you do, then I'll ask Phil to go bring it to the next place he's going around the world and just leave it there. Well, you're uh, legally not you allowed to take it. Write me. That's right. Right? Writers Guild. You have. They know I can't, but they still sometimes, occasionally, people will send, and then people I people to... don't do it because it protects you. What if Brian steals your stuff? You have no recourse. You have to have an agent submit your stuff. Yes. You can't just give it. That's exactly right. Yes. Everybody, thanks for listening. Follow Phil. Watch his show. Thank you. Thanks, Bill.